All right, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, last week we talked about, um, well, we answered the question. We gave the question, we answered the question. If God is sovereign, why try to do anything at all? So why do anything if God's in complete control of, of our lives? Why do anything uh, for the Lord? And so last week we looked at, though we don't know our future, so we don't know what uh, next year is going to hold, we don't know what really tomorrow is going to hold, the Lord leads us where he does. We talked about that is part of his hidden will for our life, those things that have not been revealed to us yet. But there is something that has been revealed to us in in accordance with his will, and that is his revealed will. We talked about where his revealed will is found, and that is found in the word of God. And so there are things that we automatically know that we should do for the Lord because it brings honor and glory to the Lord. And so we looked at some of those things last week in the Bible. Matter of fact, we focused on Daniel chapter 3. And so if you remember, we learned about the three Jewish uh, young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, they had two choices. All right, They had two choices. When the music started, they were supposed to bow down and worship that golden image. That was choice number one. Choice number two was if they didn't do that, they'd be thrown into what? The fiery furnace. That was choice number two. And so for them, they didn't need to, to figure out what their choice was going to be. They already knew what God wanted them to do. And so in the Bible, in, in a part of the law, it said, don't worship any other gods, for I am a jealous God. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they saw that, that image there, they said, no, 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 this is not what we do. They automatically knew what God's will for their life was. And so notice their reply, and this is just a way of review. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. If that's if he wills. All right? And so we talked about their faith. We talked about the fact that they understood that God was sovereign, that the king said, what God can rescue you, deliver you out of my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer was, our God can rescue you, deliver us out of your hand, if he wills. And so they, they really, by faith, made a choice. We want to obey God rather than the king. And so we looked at verse 18. This is the conclusion of their reply. But notice, but if not, the idea is, if God does not deliver us from your hand, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image that you have set up. That is, we don't know what God's will is for the rest of the day. We don't know what God's going to do. We only know what we're supposed to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we just wanted to let you know that even if you're going to do this, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down and worship the golden image. And you know what? You may end up throwing us in the fiery furnace if that's what God wills. We don't know, but we know what we should do, which is not bow down and worship that golden image. Someone once said this, you do what you do and you say what you say because you want what you want. You want what you want because you believe what you believe about God, his word, and yourself. And based upon the actions of these three individuals, it revealed to us what they believed about God. What they wanted was not for their life to be preserved. What they wanted, well, they did want that, but it was more important for them that they obey the Lord. And so that was priority number one for them. They understood God could do this, but even if he doesn't, we just want to let you know we're going to obey God rather than you. So these men decided they believed that God was sovereign, that he was able to deliver them out of the hand of the king, but they put their life in God's hand. And so we may not know the hidden future that God has in store for us, but we do know how to bring him honor and glory today based upon his 
revealed word which contains his will for our lives. And so we can know what brings him honor and glory. So last week we talked about the importance of giving the gospel because God has commanded it. And so it's not up to like, well, we don't know who's going to get saved, who's not going to get saved. That's, that's not our part, okay? Our part is just to obey the, the Great Commission to spread, to sow the gospel. We let God do the saving. And so we talked about the idea uh, last week that the gospel is important uh, to give that. Now today, we're going to be looking at the two gates and the two ways each man, woman, and child are headed down. And I think this is really important to the conversation and important to our theme. Uh, Be my witnesses, his plan, our purpose. We've been talking a lot about the gospel this year. And this is one of the reasons, because the gospel is so very important once you start thinking about the way of the believer and the way of the unbeliever. And it's not something that we often think about, but it is something that we're going to think about today, the way that people are headed down. So we're going to start off here in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. And I'm going to have you stand out of respect for God's word if you're able to this morning. We're just going to read just two verses. This is Matthew chapter 7, starting there in verse 13. Notice the words of Christ here. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, uh, enter by it, are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for an opportunity to gather around your word. Lord, we have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you in offering. Now we have an opportunity uh, to learn more about you and to really consider these two paths, this gate and this way which leads to life and this gate and this way which leads to destruction. And all men and women and children are on one of these two paths. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this topic today to once again reinforce the importance of sharing the gospel with our neighbors and with our community and with our family. And, Lord, we don't know what you're going to do. We have no idea what you're going to do with the theme this year. We have no idea who's going to come to the Lord. You have all of that handled out. You know tomorrow and next week and next month and to the end of the year, you already have those things figured out. But Lord, help us just to be confident. Help us to be faithful to your will that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Now in our passage today, Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's talking to the disciples and and the crowd, and to the religious leaders, and and he reminds them that really all mankind is on one of two paths, and really he is warning them. He's rewarding the religious leaders. He's rewarding warning the crowd. He's even warning his disciples that really they're on one of two paths, and really all the world is on one of two paths. One of those paths leads to life. One of them leads to destruction. But each man, woman, and child is on one of those two paths this morning. And so the first path that we want to look at is the path of the believer, all right? The believer's path. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of look at a timeline of of what's going to happen to the believer as the believer continues down this path, all right? And so the moment of death, the believer is released from the body and gathered to Christ, all right? So that's what the Bible says. If you're a believer here today, the Bible says that one day we're all going to die. And when we die, our spirit will be separated from this physical body and we'll be with the Lord. So the very first thing is going to happen for us as believers is there's going to be a release and a gathering to the Lord. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We want to see something that Paul said about this very thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, notice what it says here. For we know that if in the tent, that is the earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay, so let's stop there and let's ask the question, what is this tent that Paul is talking about? He's actually talking about our physical body. All right, And so when we begin to read through this passage, thinking about when he's talking about a tent and a new tent, he's talking about our current body and a new body. All right, so notice in verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed we put it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is moral may be swallowed up by life. We who have, um, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so Paul here is talking about there will be a change that happens uh, with us and that we are longing for that change. And, and the older we get, the more that we long for this, this uh, new this new state. And then drop down to verse 8. Notice what Paul says in verse 8 as he's kind of discussing this topic. He says this, and I put it on the screen for you. It says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so notice what, what Paul says. He's talking about this, this new this new body, this, this new tent, this heavenly tent. And then he says, you know what? We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so the very first thing that we should know about the believer, the path that the believer's on, the very first thing is that one day when we pass away, we're going to be separated from this physical body, but we're going to be gathered to the Lord. There's going to be fellowship with our with our Lord, with our God. There's going to be fellowship with other Christians. There's going to be a gathering of believers. All right, when the believer leaves his body, he is gathered with the Lord, and we go home to be with the Lord. Matter of fact, uh, this is what is referenced on the cross. And so this is one of the thieves. And so if you remember how this, this plays out, there's two thieves on either side of, of Jesus Christ. And at one time, they're both mocking Christ. But here in Luke, we see there's a change of heart from one of the thieves, and the thief actually rebukes the other thief and says, hey, you know what? We're here because of what we've done, but he is here, and he's innocent. And then the thief says this. And so notice here in verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so this thief recognized Jesus was who he said he was, that he was king of the Jews, but not just king of the Jews. He was king of all creation. And then this is Jesus' reply. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you would be separated from your body, but you would be present with the Lord. And so when a believer dies, we are gathered to the Lord. We wait for the resurrection of the believer. And that's the second thing, all right? So if, we, if we're looking down the path of believers on the very first thing, unless the Lord returns and there's a rapture, we're all going to die, all right? Unless the Lord returns during our life, we're all going to die. But when we die, we're going to be separated from our body. We're going to be present with the Lord. The second thing the believer has to look forward to is the rapture and the resurrection. Now, I should note that sometimes this gets confusing for Christians. They, they think that the rapture is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And those are actually two different things. The rapture and the second coming of Christ are two different events. And so let me uh, give you the idea. We're actually going to look at the second coming a little bit later. But the rapture is when Jesus Christ simply comes in the cloud. He never steps on the earth. He comes in the cloud, and, and those who are dead in Christ first will be raised. They will be given a new resurrected body. Those who are still present on the earth will then also raise and get a new resurrected body, and we will meet the Lord in the air. The Bible says that then there will be a time of tribulation on the earth. It's not something that we really want anybody to go through. It's a seven-year tribulation. Then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the Bible says, then there will be the second coming. 
That is when Jesus Christ does come out of the clouds and he actually sets up a kingdom on this earth. That's the second coming, all right? So don't be confused uh, with the rapture and the second coming. Those are two different events. We'll look at the second event a little bit later, or we'll look at the other event a little bit later. But that first event is the rapture and the resurrection. So turn over to 1 Thessalonians. All right, 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4, First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, verse 13. We're going to start with verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul talks about this time of, of a rapture and a resurrection. And there was this there was a, um, a, a false idea of the resurrection uh, coming into the church. There was some air, and so Paul had to um, uh, speak the truth, and so he gives us a little bit about what's going to happen here. And so notice here, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and notice what Paul says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so notice what Paul talks about. He talks about this resurrection from the dead. That those, and, and there, was, there was this misconception, there was this false truth, false truth, there was this, this false doctrine that had crept into the church. And it was this, that, that those who die, they're not going to have a resurrection. And, and Paul says, no, that's not, that's not the fact at all. But know that those who are dead will actually have a resurrection. Their resurrection will come first. And then we who are alive, notice there in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a crowd of a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So again, as we're thinking about this path that the believers are, very first thing, if we die in this life, and one day we will all die unless we're raptured like, like Paul is talking about here. So we'll all die unless we're raptured. But when we die, we'll be separated from this physical body and we'll be gathered with the Lord. The second thing is that, that if we are to die in this life, that we will be given a new resurrected body. And if the Lord returns before we pass away, we too will be given a resurrected body. So those are things that we can plan on. And the dead in Christ will be first, and those who are left will also be caught up. And so the path of the believer on is this. Release and gather. Rapture and resurrection. And the third thing is reward. All right, that's the next thing as, as we think about this path. All right, so after we are given that new resurrected body, we will stand before the Lord. And we will be rewarded for those things we have done for him and not done for ourselves. And so Paul talks about this very thing. And, and so I'm going to put it up on the screen uh, for us. But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and it says this. For we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, all right? This is for the believers, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He's actually talking about uh, those who would compete, like in the Olympics, and, and when they were given their victor's wreath or their victor's crown, they would stand before the judgment seat. And the, the judge would, would look at how they performed. If they cheated or if they performed unfairly, 
they did not receive the crown. And so that's what Paul was talking about here. Matter of fact, uh, in another place, he talks about the fact that uh, there will be a test, and, and if those things are simply done for ourselves, they will be made out of what? Things that will perish, things that will burn up. And only the things that we have done for the Lord will last. And so that begs the question, is it possible for us to serve the Lord and yet do it for the wrong reason? Notice the words of Paul here. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And you know, there are some people that, that they are faithful to come to church and they're faithful to read the Bible and they're faithful to pray and maybe they're even faithful to, to witness. And the reason why they do those things is because they think that if they do those things, God will love them more, that God will bless them more. But this is the truth as believers. God already loves us with a perfect love. We cannot make God love us anymore because God already loves us with a complete love. And so we don't do these things so that we might earn favor with God. We do these things because we want to honor the Lord because that is what is due him. Matter of fact, uh, Paul, when he talks about why he does what he does, Paul did not serve the Lord out of obligation. He did not serve the Lord to make a name for himself. Notice why Paul served the Lord. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He has died for all, that those who live May, might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for the sake, die, uh, uh, for their sake, died and was raised. So notice again what Paul says. He starts off with the love of Christ, controls us, and then he says this, that we have died to ourselves that we may what? That we may, let's uh, see here, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And so really, that's what Paul's drive was. He wasn't trying to earn salvation. He wasn't trying to earn favor. He wasn't trying to make life easy for himself because let me tell you, when Paul served the Lord, his life just got more difficult. It did not make it easy uh, for him. Uh, but Paul did that because he had experienced Christ's love, God's love, and that love changed him. And so Paul served the Lord because he experienced the love of Christ. And we serve the Lord not to make him love us more, but because he already loved us. And so here, after the rapture, the believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards best based on what we have done for the Lord and not for ourselves. So again, the path of the believer is on. Release and gather, rapture and resurrection, reward. And the next thing, as we look down this timeline, is reign with Christ. All right? This is the second coming. All right? So not to be confused with the rapture. This is the second coming. And so again, uh, this is what's going to happen. And so here we are. We're believers. We're living alive. One day we'll die. But we'll be separated from the body. We'll be with the Lord. And then the resurrection will happen. We'll be given a new body. We will be rewarded. We will have fellowship in heaven. And then we will come back down at the second coming and we will reign with Christ. The Bible says that there will be a millennium. There will be, um, they, we will rule with Christ for a hundred years. And this is what it says in Revelations chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, a second resurrection has no power. Or second, I'm sorry, second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And so we have something to look forward to. It's going to be a great time on, on earth. 
Things are going to be like, really, they should be. Now, the world and the earth, there will still be problems because of sin. But a lot of those things will be taken care of. Life will be extended for those that pass from the tribulation into the millennium. That Satan and, and his demons, they will be bound. They will not have access in the millennium. And so truly, as we think about God as king and, and Christ as the king of kings, there will be no one that can compete for that authority. And, and we looked at God's sovereignty last week that, that Satan and, and maybe even uh, those who walk on this earth try to compete against God, but God truly is the victor in that because he is sovereign. Well, during this time, it will be very evident but the Bible says that at the end of the tribulation, Satan will be released. He will have an opportunity to lead a rebellion, and he will. And he will lead a rebellion, and yet the judgment will be swift. And so uh, the, the Bible says that there will be fire that rains down, and, and then Satan and his followers will be thrown into the lake of fire. And then after that, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Again, as we're, as we're following this path, when we die, we'll be with the Lord. We'll be given a new resurrected body. We will have a resurrection. That, that third thing there is that we will be rewarded. That fourth thing there is that we will reign with Christ. And then that fifth thing there is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Go ahead and, and uh, turn, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and so if you'll flip all the way to the back, and really Revelation 21 is almost to the very back of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, and the Bible says this, and so this is John. John is writing some things that he saw for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I don't know about you, when I read that, it makes me look forward to it. When, when I read that, I, I think about some of the things that happen around the world that just absolutely breaks our hearts. And all of those things will be taken away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so that is something really wonderful to think about, really wonderful to anticipate. There was a, there was a group of us that at the beginning of, of April, we went to uh, Yosemite. Now, if you've ever been to Yosemite, it's, it's beautiful. And, and uh, when we went, uh, there was still some snow, and so the waterfalls were really going. And uh, it, was, it was great. We're, we're at uh, the tunnel view there. We took the tunnel view into Yosemite and stopped there with our group. We took a picture. And you know what? Yosemite is beautiful. And there's lots of beautiful places around the world. The reason why I show you this picture is because no matter how beautiful this might be, the new heaven and new earth will be even more wonderful than any place that we could go in this world. And so though we could point to many places in this world and say, that is very beautiful, what God has in store for us is even more amazing. Matter of fact, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And so we think about maybe what, what God has prepared for our life. 
that, that as we're growing with him, uh, that, that we're going to experience that, that grace and that love, and that's going to truly be revealed one day when we get to heaven and we see everything the Lord has done for us, and we really see sin for what it is, and we're going to say, wow, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I didn't see sin for what it is, but now I do. But not only that, that he is making something wonderful for the believer. This new heaven and new earth. I mean, we think about some of the, the greatest moments in this life. So, so think right now and, and, and think back to if you had a moment that you could relive over and over and over again, you would say, this is the best point in my life. And if you think about that, now just realize that what's to come, this doesn't even compare. That we would not want to exchange the new heaven and new earth for something that we've lived on this earth. Because the new heaven and new earth will be so much better and wonderful. And so the things in this earth are great, but they're not to be compared with what God has in store for us. And so the best days in this life is not to be compared to what God has prepared for us in the future. And so we think about the path that we're on, all right? The fact that uh, when we pass away, we'll be released from this body, we'll be gathered with the Lord, that there will be a, a rapture and a resurrection. There will be a time of rewards for those things that are done for the Lord and not for ourselves, that we will reign with Christ, and lastly, there will be that new heaven and new earth. However, that is the path, the, the narrow path, the, the path that leads to life. Everything on this path seems to be pretty wonderful, pretty wonderful. And if you're a believer today, really, death is just the first part of what God has prepared for us. That end result is just something just amazing, all right? God has something very special prepared for us. But unfortunately, the truth is the path for the unbeliever is the opposite of what it is for the believer. And Christ, when he spoke, he said, that path is wide, and many people take that path. And so we do need to look at that path as well, the unbeliever's path the unbeliever's path. And so we don't uh, hear a lot of preaching today on, on that path of the unbeliever, and, and let's be honest, it's easier just to overlook that because we don't like to think about uh, that judgment that is to come. Instead, what do we like to focus on? Well, we like to focus on the fact that God is gracious and merciful and, and loving and sometimes we like to overlook the fact that God is holy and just, which means he cannot overlook our sin. Matter of fact, uh, religious cults and even liberal churches, they have abandoned the path of the unbeliever, the path of the wicked. But we must remember, again, these are not my words. These are the words of, of Jesus Christ. Again, this was a warning to the crowd, to the disciples, to the religious leaders, those who are listening. It was recorded for our benefit so that we would know as well. It's a warning to us. Matthew chapter 7, the words of Christ. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Christ said, everyone is on one of two paths, and everyone will cross through one of two gates, either the gate that leads to life or the gate that leads to destruction. And so there are two paths two gates, two ways. We were all, we're all going down one of these two paths. And for the unbeliever, the very first thing they will anticipate on this path after they, after they die is suffering. 
That's the very first thing that they will experience. We will experience fellowship with the Lord. But at the moment of death, the unbeliever leaves the body and goes directly to hell or Hades. And notice how Jesus references or gives us a description of, of this place. This is Mark 9, 43. And if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter in crippled than with two hands to go into, and notice how he describes hell, to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, we live in California, so we understand forest fires and we understand fires. So fire, forest fires will, will blow through an area and consume all of the fuel. And one of two things will happen. Either it will consume the fuel to a point where there's no more fuel to, to burn, and then it will die out. Or the firefighters will actually create a fire block so there's no fuel for the fire to continue. And one way that they do that is they do what? They fight fire with fire. They will actually start another fire headed towards the forest fire to burn up the fuel. So we understand how fire works. Fire is only there as long as the fuel is there. Once the fuel is wasted, the fire goes out. We understand that. But the description that we're given by Jesus Christ about hell is that the fuel will never be gone. That this will be fire that just continues and continues and continues. And so that unquenchable fire is just that. The fuel will never be consumed. There is no parties in hell. There's no banquets. There's no reunions. The picture that we get for the unbeliever is instead suffering. It's a complete opposite of what we get for the believer. The path they're on is destruction, Jesus Christ says. Hold your place there in, in Revelations if you're there and, and flip back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we want to look at verses 16, 17, 18, and then the end of uh, John chapter 3 as well, uh, what John records for us. But notice here in in John chapter 3, and probably many of us have, have this portion of Scripture already memorized. John 3, 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus Christ, in his own words, he said, there's two places, there's life and there's perish. And then notice here in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ came to save, to seek and to save the lost. And then notice there in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name the only Son of God. So this is, this is what Jesus Christ is saying. For the unbeliever, they're already on a path, and that path leads to destruction. That path leads to suffering. That's where Jesus Christ says, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation, but for those who have not, God's wrath is already on them. And then notice how John finishes off this chapter. Look in verse 36, and I'll put it up on the wall for us as well. John 3, 36, John says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is the believer. This is, this is the path we just looked at. This is the narrow path that leads to life, that leads to eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, notice, remains on him. They're already headed down this path, right? This, this path to destruction. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not on that path. We're on the path we just looked at. But when we think about the unbeliever, they're on a different path, a path which leads to destruction. Again, I know this is not 
something that we like to think about or, or even like to consider the fact that God would be a holy and just God who cannot overlook sin, but that is the truth, that God is completely holy and he is completely just and he's completely loving, and that's why he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. He's completely gracious that he gave that opportunity to all of us to accept. But the fact that he is holy means that he can't fellowship with sin. The fact that he is just means that he cannot overlook sin. Therefore, there must be a judgment for sin. And that's the part of us, and it's not just us as believers. It's really the whole world. When, when they look at some of the things that happen in the world and, and they look at the way that people treat one another and they think to themselves, how could God be a good God and allow these things to happen? That's the question from the world. How could God be a good God and yet allow, allow human trafficking to happen in the world? But we need to remember that there will be a judgment that that judgment is really a time of, of grace. They're, they're living with an opportunity to change their paths and to get on that path of that narrow path. The time that we have on this earth is really a time of, of grace. It's a time of opportunity. It's a time to switch one path and to get on another path. But one day there will be a judgment. So the Bible talks about as the unbeliever that there will be a judgment. And so if you, if you held your place there in, in Revelations, uh, flip back to Revelations 20, we're going to see that, that judgment time of the unbeliever. Starting in verse 11, it says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Now let me just point this out. This is different from the Christian. All right, the, the Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They will be rewarded. The picture there is, again, of an athlete receiving a victor's crown for winning a competition. The picture now that we have is actually a judgment. And so the a great white throne and him who seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. There was no place for them to hide. And in verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. This book here, the book of life, is, is the book that believers are written down in. If you're a believer today, your name has been recorded in the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. And so they, they looked at their life. And uh, it, unfortunately, the, the things that they the things that maybe appear to be good in this life could never outweigh those things that are bad, because God is holy and He cannot overlook a sin. And so, notice here in verse thirteen, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each of them according to what they had done. And the death in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this is that last judgment. And so if, we, if, we, if we're following this path here, so we think about the path the unbeliever's on, it results in a new heaven and new earth. The path that the unbeliever is on, the one that Christ talked about as destruction, that ends with this second death. This, this lake of fire is really uh, was created for the devil and his angels, those who rebelled against God. But then Adam and Eve also rebelled against God. They believed the lie of the serpent. They, choo they chose to believe the serpent rather than believe God. And sin came into the world. And when that happened, mankind began to rebel against God. And that rebellion will, means that mankind will also end up the same place that Satan and his angels will end up. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. and There will be a judgment. But there is hope for the unbeliever. Remember, 
So we talked about in this life, it's really just a time of grace. It's a time for us to, to look down this, this path that we're on and, and say this path leads to destruction. And, and to move over to this path, this path that leads to life, there is hope for the unbeliever. The time that they have in this life is an opportunity for them to change paths. And we carry that message of hope. We carry the message of the gospel. Matter of fact, Peter says this. This is found in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's really what these people going down this path of destruction, that's what they need. They need to hear about salvation. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. And why? Well, because Jesus Christ is the way. So remember, the way that leads, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not all that Jesus Christ said. He also said that he was the door or the gate. Notice, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. The idea is the gate that goes into the pasture. Remember, all mankind are down one of two paths, one of two ways, a way that leads to destruction or a way that leads to life. They will either pass through a gate of destruction or they will pass through a gate of life. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way and I am the gate. And that's what people need to hear. And they need to know that there is another option. I gave this uh, illustration to um, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, chapel here at Wilton Christian, and I, I'm going to give it to you as we finish up uh, today. But imagine, imagine that you're on a trip and you're driving through the mountains and you cross all of the you cross all of these beautiful bridges and and then it starts to get dark and the the, the fog starts to roll in and and uh, you don't know why but you you pull off and and you, you you can't quite see ahead of you so you you pull off and and then all of a sudden you see a car whip by and then they disappear and then you hear a crash. And so you go to investigate, and what you find is, is you didn't even know, but that bridge was out. And, and at the bottom of, of that ravine, there are other people, and they are dead. And so you, you have one of two options, all right? You're standing on the side of the road. You have one of two options. You see another car coming. You can warn them, hey, the way that you're going leads to destruction. Or you can stand by and hope that they see the destruction and they stop as well. Well, as far as the Bible is concerned, we as believers have been given that message of reconciliation. That we have been given that opportunity to stand on that road and say, folks, folks, the way you're going leads to destruction. We have an opportunity to share that good news. And I know sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes we can be afraid that it won't be received. And if they don't receive it, that's up to them. Because again, we could be standing on that road and say, folks, folks, the way leads to destruction. And they continue to pass by and they ignore us. And they take the way, the gate that leads to destruction. But at least we have shared with them that the way they are going leads to destruction. And so when we think about these two paths that people are on, these two ways, going through these two gates, they are complete opposites of one another. One is going this way, leading to a new heaven and new earth. One goes this way, leading to a final judgment, that lake of fire. And if we're honest this morning as Christians, we don't want anybody to take this route. But sometimes we as Christians, me included, we stand on the road, we watch people go by. 
and we don't try to help. And so may we be witnesses. May we share that, that hope. May God give us that confidence to be able to share that good news because that's what people need. We need to go. We need to find. We need to invite so that people may, may experience God's love and mercy just as we have experienced God's love and mercy. And so we're standing on the side of the road. What will we do? They may not listen, and that's up to them. But we should at least warn those who are headed to destruction. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thinking about these two paths is not a comfortable subject. And yet, Lord, it's very important for us to remember that we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to look forward to, and, and really nothing in this life is, is comparable to what we have to look forward to. But Lord, then when we begin to explore the path that the unbeliever is on, the suffering and, and the judgment to come, we don't want anybody to go down that road. And really, I know you, Lord, that, that you are a loving and you are a merciful God, and that is why you have provided a way through Jesus Christ that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I know that is your desire. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to warn people. Give us that courage. As we talked about sharing the gospel, help us to be able to change the conversation to the theme of themes with a hope, with a desire to see whether or not we can meet the need that they have in their life and, and maybe share that hope of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ died for them so that they wouldn't have to take upon themselves your wrath. And that you came back to life showing us that we will have a resurrection and a new life with you. Lord, the route that we're on, the path that we're on is great. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, help us to take that grace and mercy to others while they still have time. In Jesus' name, amen.